Hello and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard of Thriving on Purpose. And uh, just before we begin tonight's amazing uh, teaching, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to head on to thrivingonpurpose.com, of course, when the broadcast is over, and sign up to our, uh, our weekly newsletters to stay up to date with all of our news and updates as a ministry. And this will also enable you to escape all the censorship that's going on right now on the internet. And while you're at it, make sure that you check out our unique Kingdom Patriot Remnant Arising Jewelry Apparel and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, has been working real hard on that store and uh, making sure that you guys get some really, really good uh, deals and, and uh, great merch like this wonderful little cap I'm wearing right now. And also, if you feel led to partner with this teaching ministry or to sow a seed, uh, you can do so on our website directly at thrivingonpurpose.com by clicking on the Give button. And also, before uh, I forget, I just want to say, as I begin this teaching on the book, based on the book of Kingdom Fundamentals, a 350-page book, if you ever purchase the book, make sure you leave a, uh, a really, really good review if it blessed you. This is the best way that you can find to encourage me as an author, but also encourage this ministry and help the message get out. And speaking of message getting out, uh, I have taken far too much of your time with this right now. So let's dive in with this week's teaching. So it's uh, part three of understanding the kingdom of God. And of course, we're continuing uh, my reading of uh, Kingdom Fundamentals. So part three is man's dominion mandate. Man's dominion mandate. And I know you guys might be allergic to the word mandate at this point, and I don't blame you. But when I wrote the book, there were no such, uh, there were no mandates going on. So, <laughs> so bear with me. So the subtitle of this chapter was Understanding Man's Place in Creation. And the, the um, I guess you could call it the foundational verse for this is Genesis 1, 28, and God blessed them speaking of Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. We're going to see that all throughout this chapter, how have dominion is such an important uh, command given by God. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And of course, that's from the good old KJV. So to understand God's kingdom purpose for man, we must go back to the beginning of our story, human, human beings, humankind, in the book of Genesis. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, uh, God says, actually, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I know many of my uh, listeners on the broadcast and many of my readers do not like to read 
extra biblical accounts of Jesus. They perceive these accounts as untrue, potentially dangerous, and they choose, they prefer to steer clear from them. Nevertheless, if we choose to remain open minded, we can find some real gems in some of those uh, texts, extra biblical texts, whether or not they are or are considered canon. For example, in the extra-biblical Gospel of Thomas, the following is written in part 18. So that's part 18 from the Gospel of Thomas. The disciples said to Jesus, Tell us how our end will be. Jesus said, Have you discovered then the beginning that you look for the end? For where the beginning is, there will the end be. When I first read that, it blew my mind. And uh, it obviously got me more curious to look at other extra biblical books. And I urge you, uh, I, I uh, encourage you to look at those extra biblical books. Of course, once you've read the Bible at least one time cover to cover. Okay, don't start diving in these books if you haven't read your Bible at least once in your lifetime. Okay. So this saying attributed to Jesus is reminiscent of what he said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 and 39, where he compared the days of the end with the days of the beginning or days from the beginning, uh, the days of Noah. Many modern evangelicals give too much importance to the book of Revelation to the end. And yet, our understanding of the beginning is flawed. Our understanding of the beginning is so incomplete. The first few chapters of Genesis in modern evangelical circles are often neglected, and that, I have to say, to our own demise. Truthfully, as believers, we cannot possibly grasp the end unless we acquire a solid understanding of the beginning first. Back when I was 28 years old, today I'm 47, that gives you a glimpse, I had become arrogant, and those who listen to my podcast and my broadcast, they've heard this story before, but I wrote it in the book Kingdom Fundamentals for good reason. So I had become arrogant, and I was complacent in my walk with God. I was in my spiritual adolescence, if you will, and I had been blessed with a little bit of knowledge. Unfortunately, though, I didn't know it was just that. I didn't know it was just a little knowledge. You see, I, I believed that I knew my Bible very well. I thought I knew it better than most. I thought I knew it better than most pastors even. And I was becoming very prideful. As a result, I was also becoming unteachable. But the Lord, using my wife uh, and himself, of course, he showed me the folly of my ways because my wife kept telling me, warning, warning, red flag, I sense some arrogance here, I sense some pride here, and I didn't really listen to it, uh, to her at the time, unfortunately. But the Lord is patient and love, and full of loving kindness, and uh, he's the one who, who, uh, who took care of it. He brought me back to reason by using just one verse in just one book. Don't you just love how God operates sometimes when we are going the wrong way? He's so gentle, and yet 
just one word from him, just one verse can completely shift your life around. That's what happened to me then. So he brought me to the book of beginnings, to the book of Genesis, to the book of our genes, Genesis. He showed me a verse in there that completely baffled me. And then he spoke to my spirit, saying, the Lord really spoke to my spirit. I heard his voice inside myself. You see, you don't even understand the first book, the beginning. So how can you pretend to understand the rest of the story? You see, one word from the Lord is all that it took for me to be humbled. I sought forgiveness from him and I repented at that very moment. And I've been teachable ever since. I can just tell you that. Okay. As you know, the word of God tells us that the Lord corrects us and reproves us for our own good because he loves us like a father. That's in Psalm 119.67 and verse 71. Also in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 6 through 11. So from that moment on, I was humbled and I became a committed lifelong student of the Bible and a, a lifelong learner as well. Ironically, I became very, very fond of Genesis in the process. In the beginning, that's a subhead. So I'm just sharing with you the subhead. When God created the earth realm and man, he had a unique mandate for him. The earth realm was a distinct realm in God's creation. It was to be a realm of carbon-based beings with bodies differing, differing from those found in heaven. The, this earth realm was made for a specific type of creation and for a specific type of beings. It was to be physical in nature and as such quite unique. It was the realm of organic bodies. Notice how the plants, the trees, the birds, the fish, all the animals and man all have organic bodies. The earth realm is specifically designed to harbor and benefit beings who are alive and organic. This was a first in God's creation. And this is notable, and we'll see why later. Now, man was appointed a special status in this new realm called the earth realm. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read the following. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. <clears throat> so in this whole passage, the two most important words are found when God blesses mankind in the person of Adam and Eve and says to them, have dominion. Yes, have dominion. 
Now, to understand what this means precisely, we need a definition of the word dominion. The dictionary tells us that dominion means sovereignty or control. And here are more synonyms for dominion. They include supremacy, ascendancy, superiority, preeminence, primacy, authority, mastery, control, command, direction, power, rule, government, jurisdiction, or lordship. I think it makes it pretty clear. So when God gave man dominion, he made mankind to be rulers over this earth realm, this domain, which is where we get the word dominion from. So the word dominion is from the word domain. Notice also, whether it is used as a prefix or suffix, the word dom, D-O-M, means to rule. This gives us a better understanding of words like kingdom, kingdom, the domain of the king, where a king rules. Freedom, freedom, which is a very useful and important word nowadays. Freedom, the domain of the free, where the free rule. Domestic, domestic, the domain of the house, under house rules. So God assigned man with the rulership of this place called earth. He also gave man rulership over all the beings he created. Man was to rule it all. Just like in the Lion King, he was to rule it all. <laughs> The birds, the fish, the plants, the trees, all the animals and the territory itself were put under man's dominion. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, we read the following. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So he gave, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. <clears throat> I'm just going to have a little drink of water here. <coughs> Forgive me for this little pause. So in this passage in Genesis chapter 2, it, it's fascinating. There's a fascinating principle at work. It is a dominion principle. It is the kingdom dominion principle of naming. Naming. You see, by naming it, we become authors over it. Whatever we name, we have authority over. And it's interesting, as an author, I, I when I studied the word authority, I realized, oh, authors have authority over blank pages. But by naming a thing, you become uh, you have authority over it. For example, we name our children. We name our businesses. I mentioned that we name our books, if we write a book. We name our towns. We name our rivers, our cities, our lakes, and our territories, and our states, and our countries, and so on and so forth. We are told here that Adam exercised his dominion by naming the animals. It's also interesting to note that Eve herself was named by Adam. 
It's not, it's not God who named Eve, it's Adam. Now, God could have named Eve, but he let Adam do it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. This further explains why man was given the headship of the household in marriage. That's from Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So the earth and everything in it were given over to man for him to exercise his authority. That said, a little parenthesis, obviously, this dominion was given to mankind. So the woman on the same um, foothold, has the same foothold of authority and dominion over the earth as man, albeit in oftentimes different roles. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. The message translation says it this way. The heaven of heavens is for God, but he put, he put us in charge of the earth. Furthermore, just a quick parenthesis here. I find it interesting to note that God appointing man a dominion mandate makes us understand God's second commandment even better. In Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, we read this. Now, this is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That, that's from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Isn't it interesting that God not only wants us to worship Him only, but he doesn't want us to demean ourselves by worshiping images of creatures that we were given dominion over. This is very, very fascinating to me. That, that was a great revelation to me. So when we make for ourselves a graven image from something in the earth or on the earth, we elevate what we should dominate. It severely demeans our status as rulers. Now, let's talk a little bit about the sovereignty of God. At this point, I feel it is necessary to address the subject of the sovereignty of God. If you have been a believer long enough, as I have, no doubt that you have heard of how God rules over everything, right? He is sovereign. This is an undeniable truth and a cornerstone of the Christian faith. Another main attribute of God is his omnipotence. Omnipotence means that God can do all things. He is all-powerful. So let's be clear. God is sovereign and all-powerful. We know this for a fact. No one can dispute the sovereignty of God. He is the creator of all. He also has indisputable sovereignty in heaven and on earth. So, question. How can we reconcile man's rulership of the earth realm with the sovereignty of God Almighty? That's a really great question. 
Well, the first thing we can say on the matter is that sovereignty always trumps dominion. God, in his sovereignty, has given man dominion. And the giver is always greater than the receiver. Sovereignty means supreme power or authority. It is unlimited in scope, especially when relating to God. Dominion, however, has limits. It is always over a determined domain, determined beings or things. But it has limits delineated by size, influence, or numbers. But let's take it further. Have you ever been asked the childish question, maybe even by an unbelieving friend or coworker, if God is all-powerful, can he create a rock that even he wouldn't be able to move? Hmm? Well, believe it or not, I actually have the answer to that cryptic question of the ages. And the answer is, yes, he can. In fact, God already has created a rock that he cannot move. The rock that God cannot move is, drum roll, his own word, his own word. The only one who can dispute the sovereignty of God is God himself. And the Bible says this concerning God's word. That's in Psalm 119.89. It says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And in Numbers chapter uh, 23, verses 19 and 20, we read these words from Balaam, the, the non-Israelite prophet. He said, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. Balaam here says, he has blessed and I cannot revoke it. God's word is irrevocable. His blessings seal the deal. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, we read that those are the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, speaking of the, the commands of God, and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you remember back in Genesis 128, it said he blessed them and said, let them have dominion. Oh, so here's a vital thing you need to understand about God's sovereignty. God, now pay attention, this is huge. God is as sovereign as his word. Let me repeat that because this is huge. God is as sovereign 
as his word. So what does it, what does this mean exactly? Well, this is what it means. God is bound by his own word because he is perfect. God is so good, so just, so holy, so perfect that he cannot break his word. Now, you've probably heard uh, sayings like, my word is my bond, or a man is only as good as his word. You probably heard those, right? Well, these apply even more so to God. His word and his blessing are unbreakable. When he gave man dominion on the earth realm, it was irrevocable. I really like what uh, respected faith teacher Charles Capps said uh, in his, <coughs> sorry, in his book, God's Image of You. He put it this way. Here's what Charles, Cap Charles Capps said. He said, it's illegal for God to come to earth and destroy the work of the devil with his divine Godhead powers. He delivered the authority of this earth to man and has never taken it back. It's still in the hands of man. Adam turned it over to Satan, but Jesus took it from the devil and gave it back to the believer before he ascended to heaven. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, that's from Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. He delivered that authority back to man. I'm convinced that your understanding of how God gave man dominion of how, yeah, of how God gave man dominion. I believe that your understanding of this particular concept is the main key to your understanding of how God's kingdom operates. You see, if you fail to understand this kingdom cornerstone that was set in stone, God's word is stone, it was set in stone in Genesis, you will fail to grasp the rest of the story. You will have major holes in your understanding of the whole Bible and of the nature of God. The dominion concept has blessed and empowered my own walk with God in ways that would have been impossible without its understanding. I sincerely hope it will do the same for you. Now, the, sub, the next subhead reads, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Do you remember back in the story of how Jacob stole Esau's blessing from Isaac? That story is found in Genesis chapter 27, verses 30 to 37. When Esau found out, he went and he pleaded with Isaac, his father. Now, I'm going to read to you the passage. It says, Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and J Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food, and he brought it to, the to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I eat all of it before you came, and, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. 
and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all of his brethren I have given to him as all of his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? That's from Genesis 27, verses 30 to 37. Isaac, after he had blessed Jacob instead of Esau, could not break his own word. It had been decreed. Now, if the words and blessings of Isaac were unbreakable, how much more the words and blessings of God? Right? In chapter 9, later, much later, in a further teaching from now, we will look further into the taming of the tongue and the power of our words. Now I want to talk about the ecclesia, the ecclesia, called to rule and conquer. Now that I have made clear our individual dominion calling, what about our collective one? What about the calling of the church? In the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia, which in my opinion was poorly translated as church, appears 114 times. 114 times. Here is how Encyclopedia Britannica has defined the Greek word, the Greek root word, ekklesia. Gathering of those summoned. In ancient Greece, assembly of citizens in a city-state. Its roots lay in the Homeric Agora, the meeting of the people. The, Athene, uh, the Athene, Athenian, sorry, the Athenian ecclesia, <clears throat> for which exists the most detailed record, was already functioning in Draco's day. That's... Uh, in 621 before Christ, in the course of Solon's codification of the law, that's in 594 BC, the ecclesia became uh, coterminous with the body of male citizens, 18 years of age or over, and had final control over policy, including the right to hear appeals in the Haleia, the public court, take part in the election of archons, which are chief magistrates, and confer special privileges on individuals. So the ecclesia in ancient Greek times, from where the word comes, had tremendous authority and uh, rights and powers. And that is from Encyclopedia Britannica. And I really like this definition because it conveys so much more than the regular ones where we've heard about the church being a mere assembly or being composed of the called out ones, right? You've probably heard that as well. It is interesting to note that in the days of early America, in the time at the times of the 13 colonies, <clears throat> if we set aside racial and gender prejudices, 
only only men who exemplified these traits that we just mentioned from the the definition found in the encyclopedia only men who exemplified these traits were given the right to vote now let's see what those rights were back then who had the right to vote in early america well they were required to be christian which is very interesting they were required to own property in order to have the power to influence the republic and of course uh, we know that they were required to be white men white males as well i said let's not look at these racial prejudices but i find the other two extremely interesting in other words they needed to have faith in god as a prerequisite and they also needed to have what we call skin in the game in order to have a voice to vote now i believe this kept political leaders much more accountable to both god and to the people it made votes count so much more in my opinion i believe the ecclesia is much more than just the assembly of those who believe or are called out of the world Jesus meant for the church to be much more than that when he said, uh, when he was speaking to his disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered and said to Simon Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, meaning this declaration you just said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now he was talking more to the whole assembly of disciples who were there. That's from Matthew chapter 16 verses 15 through 19. I'm going to take a little bit of water. Isn't that a great passage? Now, this remarkable statement that Jesus made about his church indicates much more than an assembly of like-minded people, as we often define the ecclesia. It underlies much power authority, and influence. In other words, I believe Jesus meant for the church to exert much more kingdom influence and dominion than we do in reality, or even that we believe we already have. In my other book titled, let me see if I have it here. Yeah, it's right here. In my other book titled, Five Reasons God Wants You to Prosper. Very good little book, by the way. I'm very proud of that one. In that book, I gave the following analogy about the church. So I'm going to read from that. In most religious circles, they understand this passage as Jesus saying that his church will resist the attacks of the enemy, that it will stand strong. And yet it, meets, it means quite the opposite. When he says, Jesus, when he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he means that the strongholds of hell shall not resist the power of the advancing church, of the expanding kingdom of our God. This means that the church is the aggressor. Have you ever 
seen medieval movies where soldiers are trying to take a fort or a castle. In such instances, a battering ram was commonly used to break down the door of the tightly guarded fortress. So this was a huge log-like contraption. I should imagine like almost a tree, so big, a big tree or log that was held by several men and used to repeatedly attack and smash the door until the door of the castle or the fort broke open under the assault. Now, this is the church that Jesus came to establish. It's comparable to a battering ram. It is bold. It is strong. And contrary to what most people believe, it is intended for assault and takeover. Okay? So the church is not intended to sit idly under the attacks of the enemy. Rather, it is meant to smash the gates of hell and to take back territory for the king and his kingdom. The kingdom of God is meant to be proactive, not reactive. Now, in that book, what I wrote about the church definitely conveys more accurately the definition of ecclesia given to us by Encyclopedia Britannica, which mentions, again, having control over policy, including the right to hear appeals in the public court, take part in the election of chief magistrates, and confer special privileges on individuals. That sounds a lot more like the church that Jesus meant to establish than what we've been taught is the church. Now, as a body of believers and the body of Christ on the earth, the church has a lot more power and authority and influence than we have dared to operate in. Furthermore, we know that when he comes back, Jesus is coming back as judge and conqueror. Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. What does he do? What? Jesus? What? He makes war. He makes war and he conquers. Now, that's interesting. So again, this indicates an establishing of undeniable dominance and dominion. But as we will see in the next chapter, before the church became empowered to take back what the enemy had stolen, God himself initiated a lengthy re-entry and <laughs> a lengthy re-entry and reconquest process when he established multiple covenants or partnerships with man. And we know these from the scriptures. This was to serve as his way of legally, righteously, and fully re-enter the earth realm or the arena in order to take back what was stolen from Adam. So we're going to look at this. So I covered the whole chapter on a dominion, man's dominion mandate, in this teaching. And in the next teaching, I will begin, and that, chap that next chapter, we will examine this whole process of how God re-entered into the earth realm and came to his 
came in the person of Jesus Christ to bring the kingdom finally when Christ came. But it was a whole process. It was not a one-shot deal. Here comes Jesus and boom, it's done. It was a process of covenants and alliances with a lot of men all throughout history, faithful men who were willing to partner with God and thus empower the Lord to act in the earth realm in partnership with man to do so. So we're going to look at this in the next teaching session of this uh, kingdom, uh, kingdom fundamentals teaching. So I hope this has blessed you. Guys, if it has, one of the best ways, again, one of the best ways to help this ministry is to share this broadcast, like this video, subscribe to our channel, and uh, come back next week when I do this next teaching. And uh, also, if you want to purchase my books, uh, make sure you go on Amazon.com. That's where you'll find them. And if you do purchase a book, you'll love it. You read it. It's awesome. Make sure you leave a review. That's also a fantastic way to encourage this ministry. Uh, so I hope it's blessed you. And I will see you next time.